morning. Well, we're back in Galatians. I know that's surprising to you. We've been there quite for quite a while. And um, today, we're going to be in chapter 4, um, verses 12 through 20. So if you want to turn there in your Bible, that's where we're going to spend most of our time today. I want to start by saying that, um, you know, there are certain passages you study and prepare messages on that just come together real nice and tight and it's really fun to prepare and to think about and to clarify. And particularly when Paul's in his mode that he's been in in the first few chapters where he's just methodically going through an argument, it's been really helpful because I've been able just to stick with his argument and there it is. So, today's not that easy. Uh, it's been quite troublesome for me this week. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask God to do something, okay, that his word's going to go out, and it's going to do its job, and somehow I'm going to get out of the way, and something's going to happen this morning. So let's pray and ask God to do that. Lord Jesus, you have promised that your word will go forth, and it will accomplish all that you have for it. And so, God, I ask to do that today. I pray, Lord, that you would engage our hearts and minds through your power of your spirit, through the hearing of your word, that that would transform us. That, Christ, you might be formed in us, that we might live your life. God, I pray that today we would be humbled encouraged understand the power of your gospel and the need for us to be ministers of that gospel Lord do today what only you can do we pray in the matchless name of Jesus Amen Um, I'm not going to flip through the screens uh, so if you in the back could follow along with me. I'm going to read out of uh, my Bible. So if you would just uh, stay with me. Um, Chapter 4, verse 12. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I'm present with you. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. If you've been with us over the past few weeks. We've been working our way through 
the teaching of Paul to the church at Galatia and you know that the false teachers or the Judaizers had come in to the church in Galatia and taught a very different message than Paul. Paul had come to them and it says in our passage today due to some physical trial but he had preached the gospel to them and they had received him and his message. Paul says, as if he were an angel or Christ Jesus himself. You see, Paul taught them that the gospel is a gospel of grace. That you are not saved by what you do, but by faith in Jesus and what he has done. But the false teachers had arrived on the scene behind Paul and they said, yes, put your faith in Jesus, that's good. But you will never be accepted by God unless you also become like us Jews and obey the law fully. In other words, they said, belief and obedience go together. And the result is salvation. And Paul said, no. No, 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 no. Belief and salvation go together. And the result is obedience. At this stage of our study of Galatians, you ought to understand that there's a striking difference between those two messages. The one holds you in bondage. The other sets you free. We have seen Paul being willing to take on anybody whether angels or other apostles, anyone that deviates from the gospel that he preached, he's willing to go toe-to-toe with them because he believes that salvation only comes to us by Christ's finished work and we are justified by grace alone through faith alone. And that is it. Anything added to that leaves us with nothing. Remember our simple math? Jesus plus anything equals nothing, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And in Galatians 1 through 3, we have listened to Paul the apostle, Paul the theologian, Paul the defender of the faith. But in this passage, we now hear something different. Paul the man, Paul the pastor, Paul the passionate lover, of souls, the minister of the gospel. The tone of this passage is compassion and care. It is parental. Luther said these words breathe Paul's own tears. So let me ask you this question. Are there people right now in your life that you hurt and ache for? I want you to think for a minute. Names, faces. Those that have been deceived. Those who have just enough religion to be in grave danger of missing the whole thing. Do you hurt for them? Do you weep for them? Because they are separated from the grace of God? Can you see their face? 
you should. You should be able to see them. And I want you to hold on to that for just a minute. Because that is the compassion and the love which the Apostle Paul is writing with in this passage. His heart is broken. He is perplexed. He cannot make sense of this. And so the passage is a bit all over the place because Paul's dealing with such emotion. The first thing I want us to look at comes in verse 16 and 17, and he says, Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? They, he's pointing to the false teachers, the Judaizers, make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. Paul's point is, to, is that the motives and the purpose of what the false teachers are doing was just riddled with pride. It was motivated by the praise of man. They wanted to be seen as indispensable, sought after. They wanted to have a following. Wanted to be made much of. It was self-seeking pride. So it should not surprise us. Because most of us have a lot of self-seeking pride as well. That the Judaizers' errant teaching found fertile soil in the young Galatian Christians' hearts. You see, they're false teachers. They were not only motivated by selfish pride. They were appealing to the selfish pride that lies in all of us. Their message did not put pride to death, it catered to it. That somehow you could leave the power of the Holy Spirit and rely on faith and your own moral fortitude. They offered a gospel which Paul said was no gospel at all, that used the law as a means of enjoying one's pride in a moral, acceptable way. And that's very appealing to us. It's very appealing to us who want to be religious and have moral code and ethics with having to deal, without having to deal with the drastic reality of a holy God and the sin that riddles our own hearts and our need for rescue, our need for a Savior, our need to have Christ formed in us. Think about this with me, if you will. How, how many churches in America do you think are filled with people in search of a moral structure? I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that say, well, when we had children, we came back to the church. Why? Or when my life got so radically messed up, I turned back to the church. Why? Now, obviously, some of these are innocent things, but I do believe that the evil one wants to Sell us just short. You see, 
he would love for us to seek out rules to live by, rules that will place us in line with the blessing of God, rules that will lift us from the horrors of addiction or a hole of poverty and debt, and rules that might make our kids good kids. The temptation is always to use the gospel and hard work as a means to an end. But when grace and works are mixed together, we lose the end. We lose God. And we get what we wanted in the first place. We get a culture with benefits. We get one that produces a cleaner life, a better financial position, better kids. No different than the false teachers in Galatia. They were building a culture of pride in the praise of man. So what, what's so toxic about this? What's the danger? Why would Paul be in just baffled and un, just perplexed, cannot believe what's going on? Because a theology that urges people to depend partly on God and partly on themselves is self-help with a godlike veneer. Giving the appearance of freedom but being rooted in pride and therefore leaving them, as Paul would say in this verse, shut out from the grace of God in Christ. The danger of pride is that it renders faith impossible. The danger of pride is that it renders faith impossible because pride, even at its most socially acceptable demonstrations, is an exercise of the self-will, of always self-seeking, self-confidence. In the end, a self-exaltation. Pride is strengthening of the very flesh that cannot enter the kingdom or possess the things of the kingdom because selfish pride, listen to this, because selfish pride refuses to allow Christ to be what he is and must be, our savior, our rescuer, our redeemer, and our Lord. Pride Pride renders faith impossible. Pride always leads to legalism or self-justification. Or the other side of the spectrum, lawless, self-glorifying license. So where is the pride in your life? The fact is that pride lingers in all of us. Where is it in your life? What laws are you following? Where are you combining grace and works thinking you are gaining God's favor? Why do you put money in the plate every week? Out of duty or delight? Is it worship or are you trying to pay God off? Are you faithful, honest, good, and true? Why? Why? As an expression of the life of Christ in you or because that's what good little Christians do? 
Why are you really serving in the church? Is it because Christ washed the disciples' feet and commanded them to go and do likewise? Is it the life of Christ being expressed through you? Or are you trying to get on the preferred status list? Or accumulate more frequent flyer miles? Have you somehow brokered your own deal with God? Have you worked out some way you can give just a little less than everything and still be His? That's pride. And it leaves faith impossible. You see, this is the pride that the Galatians were in danger of falling into. They were on the verge of buying into an idea that they just needed to pad the good column a little bit just in case God is counting. Then they would be fine. But folks, that is not saving faith. Saving faith confesses of nothingness and helplessness. The surrender and the waiting for God to work, it is the most humbling thing there can be. The acceptance of our place as dependent. Completely dependent. Becoming people who claim or get or can do nothing but what grace bestows on them. That's saving faith. And that's why Paul sought the Galatians as well. But he sought them in entirely, for entirely different reasons and different motives than the false teachers. He desired to make them followers of Christ. He desired to see Christ exalted in them, that they would be God-pleasers, not man-pleasers. But for some reason, he had become their enemy because he was speaking the truth and love to them. His desire was not that he would be made much of, but that Christ would be made much of. So, what does Paul point them to to call them back from such error? Verse 12, he says, brothers, I entreat you or I beg you or I command you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. So what is Paul saying? If you just look at this phrase, become as I am, it sounds a bit self-seeking, self-exalting, prideful. So what is he saying? It's important because this is the first command and imperative in the book of Galatians. He's been laying out his defense of the gospel and now he points to his loved children and he says, become like me. What's he saying? Paul is saying, look at what has become of me. I was once a zealot devoted to the law. 
a more strict law keeper than you could ever dream of being. But Christ delivered me from the bondage of the law and I now live by faith in him who loved me and gave himself for me. Remember the key text back in chapter 2 when Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul is calling the Galatians to become like him in regards to his death and his full faith in Christ and to live in Christian liberty, to live free like Christ, to live free as he is living free. And Paul adds another twist at the end of verse 12. He says, for I also became as you are. The basic understanding is that Paul became like the Gentiles, not under the law. He lived like a Gentile while he was with the Gentiles in order to what? Win them. It smacks us back toward the first the passage in First Corinthians and to think of Paul's missionary strategy. For though I am free from all, I have been I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I did it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Paul did not make the gospel broader. He did not accommodate things or compromise the gospel in order for the praise of man to be on him, but he kept the gospel and lived in the culture in order to win those who were there. He sacrificed his life in his culture in order to win over as many as possible. John Stott writes, in seeking to win other people for Christ, our end is to make them like us, but the means to that end is to make ourselves like them. If they are to become one with Christ, in, with us in Christian conviction and experience, we must first become one with them in Christian compassion. So here's the whole irony of the situation. Paul, a Jew, became a Gentile, as it were, to win the Gentiles. But now the Galatians, who were Gentiles, were trying to become Jews in order to win God's favor. And Paul is lovingly, compassionately, and with great tears saying, no, 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 no. 
to really understand what Paul is saying in verse 12, become as I am, we also have to connect it to the phrase in verse 19. The phrase Christ formed in you. In verse 19, Paul changes imagery slightly and at the end of this passage, it's really hard because he does this mixed metaphor thing that's like all over the place. And if you try to pull out the details of it, it'll drive you pretty crazy trying to figure out what he's saying. But the point is this. The big picture is this. That Paul is in great pains of childbearing. Pains of seeing Christ formed in these people he loved, these people he called children. And what he's trying to get across is that a believer is not only one who professes faith, but one who is transformed into the likeness of Christ. And the Gentiles were far, the Gentile Galatians were far from growing and advancing in their faith. They were actually in danger of having to start all over again. You see, saving faith, biblical discipleship cannot be reduced to a program, a list of rules, or a process. Because at its core, it is the growing presence of a person. It is Christ Jesus himself formed in you. So what does it mean to have Christ formed in you? What does it mean to become like Paul? It means that the cross shapes who you are. The gospel reforms not only your exterior, the things that you do, it reshapes your character to resemble Christ. It means that the life you live now is lived out by faith in the Son of God. No longer living in pride and self-exaltation, but solely in the grace of God. That through the Spirit of Christ in you, there will be an increasing freedom from sin and an increasing resemblance to Christ. When Christ is formed in you, he radically recreates your heart and sets you free from the bondage of law, of the law. But your freedom is not to lead to lawless, self-glorifying license. That's not freedom, that's bondage again. No, on the contrary, it's the power of Christ living in you, reigning in you, and forming himself within you that frees you to delight in God's will. This is the gospel. Belief and salvation go together to result in obedience. Paul longed to see Christ visibly living in the Galatians, to see the likeness of Christ, to be born into them and out of their lives. This, this is the point. And this is my heart for you and for me. This is the reason why I have labored, pun intended, for 11 years here. Because I long to see Christ formed in everyone that calls North Lake home. To see an army of men and women sent out from here that will call others to become like I am as I become like you are. 
So how is Christ formed in us that that might be reality? Verse 6 in this chapter told us that because we are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. And in chapter 3, verse 5, he says, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing of faith? So how is Christ formed in you? Put those two together. Christ is formed in us from within through the power of his Spirit. Faith comes to us by hearing it is really simple. Christ comes, recreates us from the inside by the power of the Spirit, and faith is the joyous resting in the all-sufficient work of Christ. Therefore, anything that smacks of a self-made man is pride. And that pride makes faith impossible and hinders the process of Christ being formed in you. Paul's message robs us of all such pride. By saying that you must be Christ made. You must have Christ formed in you. You must be a Christ made people. And here is where the beauty of Paul's resolve and the sense of his mission and his love for the people shines. In verse 19 he calls them children. And he is willing. He is unwilling to toss them aside. They have his heart. I don't know about you, but disciplining my sons is the hardest thing in the world because they have my heart. And when they do what is right before God, it brings me great joy. And when they don't, it perplexes me and crushes my heart. But even in those moments when they crush my heart, you couldn't rip them out of my hands. The love that I have for them is immeasurable. And the love that Paul has for the Galatians here is the same. He's ready to sacrifice himself to endure great pain again if necessary in order to see Christ formed in them. Now, right where you, you're sitting, think back to the faces and the names that I asked you to think about earlier. Those that you cry and plead for. Because this passage shows us the heart of a minister of the gospel. What it is. It shows us a heart that had been radically changed, set free, and is calling others to be like him while becoming like them. Now there's this application here for everyone. Not just for the Apostle Paul. Because if Christ has been formed in you, then you are a minister of the gospel. For us to keep the gospel mission clear in our lives, we must be crucified with Christ and live in Christ. He must be formed in us in such a way, as Calvin said, that his life, we may live 
we would live Christ's life. How is Christ formed in us? Through his spirit, working through his word and in others. Other ministers of the gospel in our life. Don't lose this understanding. Whether you like it or not, you need these types of relationships in your life. You need somebody like Paul who will come alongside you, has given their heart to you and would say, No, you're in error. Become as I am. You need those people. You need people who have the gospel in the center of their life and are able to help you keep it in the center of yours. But don't stop there because the gospel demands that also you would do the same for others. That you would preach the gospel of grace to others continually, day in and day out. We have to understand that the gospel demands that we call, plead, pray, go through great pain in order that Christ might be formed in those he loves. So what am I asking you today? Here's what I'm asking you. Will you become like Paul? Will you get dirty? Will you give your heart away even though it's very likely you will get hurt? Will you do it? Will you persevere in loving people in your life so that Christ might be formed in them? Lastly, will you get out of your Christian subculture and become like those around you? Will you connect the people around you, bridge the distance between you, become like them in order to bring the gospel to bear where they live? Instead of asking them to clean up and come into your subculture, will you go to them? Would you become like those without the law in order to win those without the law? You see, Paul does an amazing thing in this passage. In verse 13 through 15, he says, You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of the blessing you felt? It seems here that Paul believed that if he could just bring to their memory how powerful and beautiful the gospel was at the beginning, that his dear Galatian children would stop being attracted to false gospels. And I believe that's what we ought to do today as we approach the table. We should remember. 
we should be drawn back to how valuable and how beautiful and how powerful the gospel was to us in the beginning. Maybe today, for the first time, you've seen it as beautiful and powerful. But for most of us, it has been some, some time since Christ invaded us and he was first formed in us. Do you remember the power and the beauty of the gospel at the beginning? Do you remember when the spirit regenerated your heart and you believed and you would do anything? you would have gouged out your eyes for the sake of the gospel. As we approach the Lord's table this morning, there's great hope. Paul had hope for the Galatians who had lost their way. His message was become like me and allow Christ to be formed in you. So today, as you prepare your hearts for the table, for this sacred meal, Will you turn your heart to Christ? And as a body, could we say, we are not our own. You have bought us. Forgive us. Be formed in us. And be glorified through us until you return. I believe that's exactly what Jesus had in mind when he gathered his disciples around the table. And after the meal, he took bread, he blessed it, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body, broken for you. Take it and eat it in remembrance of me. Remember what I have done for you. Remember the sacrifice that I made on your behalf. Remember when Christ was formed in you. And then he took the cup and he blessed it and he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. So that each time we would take the bread and drink of the cup, we would remember the sacrifice. We would remember exactly what our faith is based on. Not on works that any man should boast, but on the sacrifice of the one who came and lived a sinless life and died on the cross on our behalf. that We might be saved from the wrath of God and not only saved, but adopted into the family of God. And that we would do this and we would remember the benefits of the gospel until his return. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, as we approach this table, help us not to do it in vain repetition or out of duty. But God, Please, through the power of your spirit, help us to turn from our sin, from our pride, 
by faith live a life worthy of you. This is the table of grace. Help us approach it. Help us to cling to it. That you might be formed in us. And pray this in Jesus' name.